One of the Kafka songs by composer Lisa Bialava, we heard This Time, performed by Carla Kielstedt, violin and voice. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bostead, and my guest today is Lisa Bialava. Lisa, thanks so much for coming down and talking to me. Thank you for having me here. So did you always know that you were going to be a composer, or was that um, how, how did that decision to become a composer come about? Well, um, my father, who was actually born in Chicago, by the way, um, is a composer. He's, he's actually still composing. He's 83 years old and lives out in the San Francisco Bay Area now. Um, and my mother's an early music performance practice scholar. So I had, uh, my brother and I had a really early music training. We did the Suzuki violin thing, and we studied piano, and we, ch- we sang in my mother's church choir. And sang, uh, I sang a lot of my father's music, and we performed a lot of his music. So I had a really early uh, training, and I started writing music really young mm-hmm. because it's just like, you know, when you're a kid growing up in a house, and that's what the adults are doing. Right, you right. want to be like them, so you sit down at the piano. and you. So we, my brother and I both wrote music from a very young age, and we didn't really necessarily identify as composers, um, but we were always writing music. Mm-hmm. So. So did you go to music school right away um, in college, or how did that whole thing, how did that take shape? Uh, I actually didn't go to music school. I don't have any degrees in music. Um, when I first went to college, my intention was to be maybe a double major in music and literature because that I was a really avid reader, and I still am. You probably can tell. Like, there are lots of books around my apartment. But it quickly became clear to me when I was at Yale that... Uh, I was in this amazing literature department, and I was getting so much inspiration um, just for life, you know, from my studies with my literature professors, and, in, and I was having kind of an awakening, you know, as a reader. And part of me knew that I was going to go into music. I don't know what I thought I was going to be doing. I still don't know what I think I'm doing. <laughs> but at the time, I, I just figured I would probably make my way into music and that the really important thing that was happening in my life at that moment was that I was having a really you know, inspiring encounter with reading and with literature. So that's what I ended up majoring in in college. Slowly, I started to, you know, my very sort of specific skills and, and interests and abilities started to find their match, you know, in various ways. And I started to get some uh, really great opportunities. I got the job um, as the vocalist with the Philip Glass Ensemble really young. I was like 22, 23 years old, my first year of touring 20 years ago. And that was a huge break for me. And that sort of uh, helped me meet a lot of people who were active in the field and really started to uh, bring me into a new kind of adulthood of, you know, of confidence in, in my music making. But I had to just kind of stumble forward. It wasn't as if I had a really clear picture of where I was headed. Mm-hmm. We're going to start off with your double violin concerto. Lisa, what can you tell us about that piece? What you just heard at the beginning of the show uh, was uh, one of the seven uh, Kafka songs that I wrote for violinist, vocalist Carla Kilstead. And the thing that um, you can't really tell in a recording is that she's actually playing and singing at the same time in that. That recording was made with just a stereo pair of microphones, and she's just phenomenal. I mean, it's really amazing to hear her do this. And then a few years later, uh, I wrote a double violin concerto with the Boston Modern Orchestra Project because I was in residency with them for a few years, and I thought that would be a wonderful opportunity to bring a couple of my muses, my favorite you know, soloists that um, I had worked with, uh, both violinists, together in this new piece. So this is, we're going to hear the middle movement. It's called Song, and it's, uh, it also it features Carla Kilstead and Colin Jacobson, who's um, one of the, uh, the Jacobson brothers who founded the Knights Orchestra here in New York, and I work with them a lot too. 
And Carla is actually singing in this particular movement. She's singing uh, a text from Goethe's Faust. It's when the character of the director comes out and speaks directly to the audience and basically says, you know, anything you can imagine that you, in your imaginative world can be created here in my theater because we have all of the modern technology that the theater can bring. Mm -hmm. And it's a very touching sort of... Uh, testimonial to the power of the imagination mm -hmm. and um, so and they do a beautiful job so this is just the the one the middle movement of the double violin concerto great let's have a listen
We just heard Gil Rose and the Boston Modern Orchestra Project performing the second movement, Song, of the Double Violin Concerto by composer Lisa Bialava. We heard Carla Kielstedt on violin and voice, and Colin Jacobson, violin. Lisa, you had another really fruitful collaboration with the Boston Modern Orchestra Project, and that was the synopses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, it came about because I was I started my composer in residence with the Boston Modern Orchestra Project in 2006, and and I was sort of musing on the fact that many times composers in residence, the one thing they don't do in residence is actually compose. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about their pieces and they work with, but they're not actually composing music. And I thought it would be really cool that the you know if the weeks that I spent in Boston, I was actually also writing music, speci- like that I would write there. So I started doing it. Uh, I was hosting these concerts in a bar, curating and hosting these club cafe concerts uh, that featured members of the orchestra over the course of three years. And what I did was I just every week I spent there, I would cough up another little tiny solo piece for one of the members of the orchestra. And uh, the idea was that then I would actually get a chance to know the orchestra. And I, by the end of my residency, I had written 15 of these tiny little pieces between three and six minutes long. And I had written solo pieces for, you know, 25, 30% of the orchestra at that point. And I presented them in these concerts. Because I was writing little diminutive pieces, I decided to call them uh, synopses because I was paying tribute to Ernest Hemingway, who wrote that six-word story Mm -hmm. he was very proud of, for sale, baby shoes, never used. Right. And I thought, you know, if I could give them each a six-word subtitle, Mm-hmm. That was, became my project. And the audience, you know, the whole community in Boston on, on the blog, and everybody got very involved in this. Everyone got really excited about, you know, what the next six-word title would be. And so the next piece that we're going to hear is one of these little synopses, and uh, it's uh, synopsis number 11. So it was written probably toward the beginning of my last year there. The subtitle is It Takes One to Know One. Okay. In this piece, Bob, the percussionist, actually is playing a trap set and speaking also mm-hmm. uh, is a duet with himself, sort of like, I guess, what Carla Kilstead does, right? Mm-hmm. Is a duet with himself. And the stuff that he's saying, he's actually speaking text that I overheard over the course of several years. And that's something that we're going to talk about a little later that I've done a lot in my work, which is to set overheard stuff, mm-hmm. to go around and eavesdrop and write stuff down and then capture that little slice of humanity and, you know, by setting it to music. So this, these, uh, these are sort of misanthropic kind of little statements that I heard people say over the years and wrote down and put all in one place. Great. Uh, Let's have a listen to that. So don't feel too 
time. Next time. Say excuse me. I hope they know what they're doing. I'm not being nasty. I'm just in a bad mood. I'm sure you guys are all in this thing together. Next time say excuse me. She had it coming. So don't feel too bad. I usually don't invite anyone to stay with my parents unless it's serious. They are all really nice. But things that are important to us are not important to them. Well, they're probably telling you one thing, but what they end up doing will be another. So, I heard the news. Any idea what it means? I can't say I'm surprised. You know what else we do to shut them up? You don't want to wear any jewelry in the shower. somebody I'm not being nasty I'm just in a bad mood people here are nasty mean and rude Not at school, not at home, not in your head. Never say that. It takes one to know one.
One of these synopses by composer Lisa Bialava, performed for us by Robert Schultz on drum set and spoken word. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show that features the music of contemporary composers, and Lisa is my guest today. You can find us on Facebook or on the web at relevanttones.com. So we've got time to play the entire concerto for orchestra that you wrote called In Medias Res. This again is with the Boston Modern Orchestra Project. Can you tell me about the piece and how it came about? Sure. Um, from a technical standpoint, you know, in terms of my residency with the orchestra, what you'll hear is you'll hear the Synopsis 11 actually worked in there. And in fact, many of the synopses that I wrote ended up being uh, sort of sketches for the larger pieces, especially this piece, because this piece features the very orchestra that all of these synopses were written for, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that was sort of on purpose. So people who had been following the project, the synopsis project in the bar concerts and stuff, could come to the Concerto for Orchestra and they heard things that they already knew and were intimate with. And so much of the material was actually written not just for an orchestra, but was written for these particular people Mm -hmm. in this orchestra. So that was a very satisfying, uh, it's just an incredibly fulfilling experience, such a personal, uh, intimate way to write for orchestra. And this is a big group. It's a symphonic-sized group. Um, the piece is called In Medias Race, which the literary-minded will know that this is a, it's a literary device that basically means starting in the middle of everything. So, you know, in some of the sort of Greek tragedies, you know, the, the beginning of the play, you drop down in the middle and there's a battle going on and everything's happening. And then as the piece goes on, you sort of learn what caused that circumstance. Why was there a battle? But the actual play starts in the middle of everything. So in medias race means in the middle of it all. Mm-hmm. So this in two movements. The first movement is called and, and the second movement is called or. Okay, let's have a listen to the Boston Modern Orchestra Project perform Lisa Bialava's Concerto for Orchestra, Gil Rose conducting. Thank you. 
That was In Medius Race, Concerto for Orchestra by Lisa Bialava, performed by Gil Rose and the Boston Modern Orchestra Project. Lisa, uh, I've had such a great time listening to your music, and this next project that we're going to feature, Chance Encounter, is especially interesting to me for many reasons. One, I think that composers do tend to kind of spend a lot of time in, in, in isolated environments alone. They're kind of very hermetic by nature. Uh, but you're sort of the opposite. You spend a lot of time out in the everyday world talking to ordinary people and being inspired by the things that they say and, and, and by the sounds that you hear. And also, I, I find it so interesting that your degree is in literature, um, that you, you know, you're not really formally trained in music. And I think that brings a very uh, kind of freshness to the music that you write. And in this project, Chance Encounter, we see all of this being put together in one project. Tell us about Chance Encounter, how it came about, and how you found this wonderful source material. Chance Encounter is a, a kind of a multi-year project that um, that I developed with uh, soprano Susan Naruki. She was sort of a, a an idea that she and I came up with once after we had worked together in some other setting, and we thought, you know, it would be really great if we could get these kinds of musical experiences just out into some kind of context that was, you know, where we were really encountering people, you know, where people could happen upon this music by chance instead of buying tickets and sitting in rows and, you know, how, how could we make that happen? So uh, we went and, and raised money from, we got a grant from the Creative Capital Foundation to do this, to do this project uh, with the Knights Orchestra, which is uh, the orchestra that was founded by Eric and, and Colin Jacobson. Colin was the one who played in the double violin concerto. Mm-hmm. And what, what this piece is, is it's a 35-minute uh, piece for chamber orchestra and soprano and Susan to perform in public, transient public space transit public spaces. And in fact, the orchestra itself is divided into two groups that are around a half a city block away from each other. Um, and what Susan is singing in these sort of very, there, there are these four kind of aria-like sections of the piece. She's actually singing stuff that, like the synopsis we heard earlier, stuff that is that I overheard over the course of, you know, year, a year or so, 14 months of eavesdropping. And Susan was eavesdropping too. And I just collected hundreds, probably maybe even thousands of things that people said and put them in categories. The very last song is called the aimlessness song. You know, where's the guy with the directions? And I already waited in this line. And, you know, the, the, the people are often saying stuff that just, you know, you get the impression that everybody's walking in circles in this world, you know. And then the, the first movement is called uh, Topos Nostalgia because it's all these sort of yearning, longing things that people say. My father lost his job. We used to live here. You know, these sort of things that people say when they're out in places. The places make them, you know, really resonate for them. So I think the section we're going to hear is called nothing. Nothing is the kind of sort of almost always unintentionally existential things that people say. On the subway platform here at 168th Street, I remember I heard a teenage girl tell her friend, nothing has happened, nothing will happen. Nothing has happened. I have, you know, I've done nothing. Nothing will happen. She said this over and over again, and that became this sort of mantra and ended up in this piece and gave it its title. And there are a lot of other things that people said that may not 
in context be so profound, but if you take them out of context, they're sort of, they're the Buddha, you know? So it was really incredible, like just culling all of these things that people said and putting them, forcing them to encounter one another like this, and then making an aria out of them, filling them up with sort of dramatic musical meaning and putting them back in the same kinds of contexts that they were overheard in. Okay, well, let's have a listen to Nothing from Chance Encounter.
We just heard Susan Naruki, soprano, with The Knights, performing Nothing by Lisa Bialava, part of her project Chance Encounter. Lisa, it's been so much fun talking to you and listening to your music. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders at WFMT. For more information about the program and the artists we featured, you can find us on Facebook or visit our website at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of Grosvenor Capital Management, Carol Joins and Abby O'Neill, an anonymous donor, and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm your host, Seth Bostead, and thank you very much for listening.